over and over again, God makes it very clear that, that if these trees do not bear fruit, they will be chopped down and they will be thrown into the fire because that's all that they are good for. It's this idea that, that if you do not bear fruit, then you are spiritually dead. The danger in that, the danger in that is, well, I should say one of the dangers, is to the people around you, you have the appearance of being one that is, well, you could use the tree as an example. You're in full bloom. You have all of these leaves. You have the appearance of being strong and healthy and great. And God's called you to set an example for other people. But the only example that you're setting is that I've got the appearance, but I've got nothing to show for it. And, and, and the Lord says, and that is extremely dangerous. Because one, you believe that you're something that you're not. You're not a fig tree if you can't grow figs. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Thanks, worship team. Thanks for that. That's a great reminder that we're, we're walking through the book of Matthew uh, slowly to gain a greater understanding of what it means to be a part of building the kingdom of heaven. And it's through the great commission that he's given to us to go and to make disciples. And so today we're going to dig just a little bit deeper. Matthew 21, we're going to look at verses 18 through 22 uh, to, to just, again, continue to understand how we play a role in, in allowing God to use us to go and to make disciples and to grow his kingdom. And so uh, if you would like to turn there, uh, as you do, I honestly, I just have to start this one. I got to give a shout out to our middle school director, April Wall, uh, who took the middle schoolers on a ski trip this weekend and in the church bus. Anytime that you include the word church bus in a sentence, that means this is not going to end well. Um, and so they made it to Bowman, uh, just short of Bowman, and the bus broke down. In, uh, in freezing cold temperatures. So shout out to all of the Bowman Police Department and, yeah, and Highway Patrol that came and rescued all the kids and got them to the truck stop. Shout out to our personnel or our properties committee who found a bus here in town to go and get everybody and to bring them back home in the middle of the night. And, uh, and so if you want to be on a properties committee, there's a lot of great uh, roles that you get to play. But, uh, but anyhow, sorry, we're sorry, April. I'll just say it in front of everybody. But it's a great story. You're in youth ministry. That's a fantastic story that someday will be ha-ha funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was telling somebody today, it's such a good story that it might become my story. I, I mean, yeah, I can't remember all the details of my days in youth ministry, but that night when the bus broke down and the sheriff had to come and get me. Yeah, yeah. Can I have it? Can I have the story? Or, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, there was a, an ad campaign a number of years ago that, that came out with, uh, from, from the Snickers company, if you remember it. We don't like you when you're hungry. Uh, and so the, the commercials were always uh, these friends. They were maybe in the backyard kind of just playing some tag, some touch football. And uh, like Betty White is there. And they're like, who is this that's playing with us? And they find out that it's really just their friend who's really hungry. But their attitude changes when they're hungry. And they kind of become hangry, and, and, uh, and, and they start to treat people in a different way because of the hunger that they have for them. I, I, uh, I don't want you to look, read too much into that, but I see that in the text that we're going to look at today. Also, in, in the, 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 the text leading up to it. So if you remember, if you've been uh, kind of riding along with us in this, 
Jesus had, uh, has now entered into Jerusalem, his triumphant entry, uh, and the people were, were praising him, calling out, Hosanna, save us. So there, there was a belief. People were praising him for being the, the, the Messiah. But remember, their understanding wasn't to its fullest. They, they thought he was going to come and be a king that was going to conquer the, the oppressive government that was over them. Because they weren't paying attention to the truth of what Scripture had said uh, as it predicted, as, as it prophesied about the Messiah coming. So Jesus comes in and, and the people are praising him. And then while the people are praising him, because it just has to happen, then you've got the, these religious elite that come up and they're telling him, you need to tell your people to be quiet. Uh, and so rain on the parade, right? And, and what happens is, is then Jesus goes down into the city. Uh, and as we talked about last week, he goes into the temple, the house of God, the house of prayer, and it had been basically turned into a, a kind of a, a market that was taking advantage of the poor and the oppressed. And it was, as, as we talked about, uh, that, that this was, that market was run even by the high priest's family. So you've got the religious elite that aren't even being righteous. They have the look of religion, but they're not living it out. And Jesus gets upset, and he turns the tables over, and he chases everybody out of the temple and says, this is a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. This is not a place for people who just want to do whatever they can, can come and hang out and feel that, that, they're, that they're in some way they're sanctified because what they're doing is inside of the temple. Well, we don't read about it in Matthew, but uh, Luke says that, that Jesus then goes out of the city and he looks over Jerusalem, and he's seeing all this activity. People who'd come to the city for uh, this time of Passover, and it says Jesus just begins to weep. His heart breaks, because, and he says, if only, if only you would all know that peace has come to you, that salvation has come to you, uh, and, and you, and you rejected it, you, you ignored it, you thought it was going to come in a different fashion, and it says that, that Jesus then gets approached actually by the religious leaders again for what he had done in the temple. And, and Jesus just leaves the city and he goes up to Bethany uh, for the night. I, I would say what started out, it, it was, seemed like as we read through it, it's going to be a really fantastic day for Jesus. And it was just one thing after the next of him just getting beat down uh, by by the religious elite, uh, by people who didn't have their act together, didn't have a, a focus on who he was. Um, and, and I got to imagine he probably went to bed that night, uh, just maybe feel, I don't know if he, he felt just a little bit down, defeated. I, I would. Granted, I'm not Jesus. But we find him the next morning waking up, and I would say, hangry. Um, he, he, he wakes up and he goes down back into the city, and as he's going, he sees this fig tree in, in uh, all of its leaves that are growing there, and it says that he's hungry. And he goes down, and he finds that there are, there's no fruit on the tree. This is what happens. Let's stand together, if you would, as uh, I, I just read this text. Matthew 21, 18. In the morning, as Jesus was returning into the city, that is Jerusalem, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. 
and the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled and said, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Father, uh, as we just unpack this text, is, uh, I trust that your Holy Spirit has given me words to say that are truth of just showing us what it is that you want us to know about you and about this world and about what you've called us to, to be. I pray, Father, that it would be clear that you would give our minds focus. So right now, just open up our hearts and our minds to you, to your word. Uh, keep distractions and the enemy far from us. This is your time. We continue to worship you through your word in your name. Amen. You could have a seat. So just to kind of take this back to, to us for a little bit and this idea of getting uh, hungry. Um, so often in our faith, we can, we can all admit it, we, we maybe get a little too comfortable in our walk. And our passion for, for what it is that God has called us to be and who He's called us to be, what He's called us to do, it could start to, to fade a, a little bit. And, and as it starts to slow, we start to slow, we, we begin to weaken in a lot of areas. We know this. There's seasons of life maybe. It doesn't, doesn't mean just because everybody does doesn't make it right, but our prayer life maybe starts to weaken. Our time in the Word starts to get shorter or we don't... We read it, but we don't consider application or, or give it over to the Lord to, to do something in our lives. This call to go and make disciples just maybe just seems like too overwhelming for my schedule and what I have to do. And so we stop uh, doing that. We allow our spiritual diet so often to become replaced by unhealthy things that fill our time, that fill our mind, that start to take over our lives. It's the work of the enemy that we should get upset about. Right? We, should, we, should, we should want to join the fight. I am not going to let the enemy win today. He's not going to get in. He's not going to distract me from following closely behind Jesus. And I'm frustrated that he's even trying. So I'm just going to give myself more over to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to defeat the enemy. We should get hungry and crave, like David says in Psalm 143.6, My soul longs for you, Lord. That, that like, like a soul, like a, being in a parched land, that we should constantly be pursuing, God, fill me. Fill me with what is it that I need to follow you. We can get the idea uh, then of, of Jesus. He's had a, had a long day, goes to Bethany for the night. For whatever reason, we know that he woke up early in the morning to go off and pray. We're not told by that in Matthew in this text, but we can assume it. So he wakes up, and, and they're going to now go back into the city. The, he's got a, another day of ministry and lessons to teach ahead of him. And it says that he's hungry, right? So he didn't get fed. And he's walking down that short little mile, uh, two miles from Bethany on the Mount of Olives down into the city. And can imagine he sees ahead of him this a fig tree, and it's in full bloom, right? Leaves everywhere, which says one thing, that if a tree is full of leaves, it means that it's got life, which means if it's a, fig, or a fruit-bearing tree, it's going to have fruit. It's a fig tree. There's an assumption. It's going to have, it has the appearance that it's going to have fruit growing out of it. And Jesus approaches it to satisfy his hunger. And there's no fruit there. And, and he curses the tree, right? He's, he gets upset. You had the appearance 
of having fruit, and now you don't have fruit. And so may you never grow fruit again. And instantly, the disciples are in awe as they just watch the leaves fall and the tree wither, and it loses all of its life, right? Their jaws drop. Now, there's more to it than this. Don't, don't read this as, like, this is the one time that we see Jesus get so mad that he takes it out on a, on a tree, because that's not the point of it at all. Jesus is always intentional in everything that he does. And the disciples, by being there, and those that were following Jesus, which we assume was a rather large crowd, were witness to really a parable that they needed to apply to their lives. Uh, Anybody who would have been a, a student of Scripture, which would have been basically every Jewish person that was there in Jerusalem that day, would would witness this activity and it would automatically take them back to numerous passages in the Old Testament where God is talking about fruitless fig trees. And and He's talking about how Israel had the appearance of being His children, but they have nothing out of their lives that actually showed it. There was no fruit that was being shown. Typically as well, a, a fig tree was another symbol of Israel, of peace and prosperity. They actually used it as one of their symbols as a nation. So for Jesus to curse the fig tree, it was just kind of putting a highlight on what had taken place the day before, which was, you all have the appearance of religious activity, but there's nothing good that's coming out of it because it's not fruit. So Jesus goes to the tree and he's looking for fruit and it's It should have been there. Figs grow, apparently, from what I know, in the Middle East and Israel, they grow for about, they they stay on a tree for about 200 days. So you come across a a tree that's full of leaves, you can just assume that it's bearing fruit. And a, a fig tree usually would bear fruit twice a year. Small little fruit at the beginning that, I don't know, was nutritious, but it wasn't that as tasty as a fig, if you're into figs. But, um... Those were always used, typically left on the tree for the poor that would walk by the road, and that's what we find, a tree on the road. And so Jesus just assumes there's going to be some, and there's not. And his cursing is basically, one, just like he always has, proclaiming his authority. Uh, But two, for the people to recognize and realize, it's another message, we have not been a people that have been bearing fruit. We've not been producing the way in which God has called us to produce. And so Jesus says, may you never bear fruit again. And if you were a student of Scripture, in those days, uh, two specific passages that would pop out would be Hosea 9.10, where God said, I find Israel like first fruits of a fig tree, but they got lazy, they fell for other gods, and now they produce nothing. They got distracted. And, and now they're producing nothing. Jeremiah 8.13, God says, So I will consume them, for there are no figs on the tree, and their leaves are going to fall, and the things that I have given them will pass away. Over and over again, God makes it very clear that, that if these trees do not bear fruit, they will be chopped down and they will be thrown into the fire, because that's all that they are good for. It's this idea that, that if you do not bear fruit, then you are spiritually dead. The danger in that, the danger in that is, I should say one of the dangers, 
is to the people around you, you have the appearance of being one that is, well, you could use the tree as an example. You're in full bloom. You have all of these leaves. You have the appearance of being strong and healthy and great. And God's called you to set an example for other people. But the only example that you're setting is that I've got the appearance, but I've got nothing to show for it. And, and, and the Lord says, and that is extremely dangerous. Because one, you believe that you're something that you're not. You're not a fig tree if you can't grow figs. I chopped an apple tree down in my backyard because for years it never produced apples, so I never called it an apple tree anymore. It, it was just a pain. Right? It was just branches that fell in my yard, and it was just a tree that was dead, and it needed to go away. If we don't bear fruit, then we are spiritually dead. And the disciples had a front row seat to all that had taken place over the last 24 hours as they watched Jesus and His emotion and all that was taking place. They should have understood what was going on here. Israel had been waiting for the time when that Savior, that Messiah, the one that would come and would reconcile men to God when He would arrive, but they got lazy. They got lazy in their, in their faith. They got lazy in their walk with God. And, and everything just became ritual. Just going through the motions. That's what that's what we've been studying throughout the ministry of Jesus. Is that's what he's been calling out, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you, because you've interpreted scripture wrong. You've become fat and sassy and just kind of sat back and just thought that because you're the nation of Israel, you're good. And and it's just not the case. Jesus is saying, I don't see anything in your life that says that. As he's looking over the city, that's why he's crying. Boy, there's a lot of commotion that's going on for Passover. But, but you're missing the point of Passover, and that's me. Your eyes should have been open. You should have been waiting for this, longing for me. They didn't live into what was expected of them. They praised, they praised Him, called for salvation, but it was salvation from their enemies, not from their own selfishness and their own sin. The temple had the look of an immense amount of spiritual activity. But it, it was for nothing. Jesus found nothing. The religious leaders, who should have been the most knowledgeable about the Messiah, they should have identified Him right when He showed up instead of bowing, continued to just confront Him and oppose Him, ultimately killing Him. They had the appearance of fullness, like a tree with leaves, but Jesus found no fruit, nothing of sustenance. He didn't find health. And so Jesus, with a word here, does what, what God the Father said He would do in Jeremiah. You will pass away. This is all going to go away. It's interesting that, that all of those people in that commotion that were there on the temple, uh, that was the center of their faith, would have never dreamed in a million years that God would allow that temple to, to go away, that the city of Jerusalem would fall. But it wasn't short or long after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection that Jerusalem just became a wasteland again because of their disobedience. John the Baptist, uh, Matthew chapter 3, was confronted by the Pharisees, and, and John warned them bear fruit. God wants you to grow, but he says, be warned. In verse 10, 
of, John, of Matthew 3, John said, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Is this warning. If you do not get serious about the, your faith, and repent, turn, follow, the end for you will not be good. And then Jesus, he comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 7, and he repeats really the same thing. 719, he says, Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus is, is saying to Israel that the same message that he would want his disciples that day and today to know. If you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, then we've got to live into that identity. We have got to bear fruit. We cannot just be... Trees with leaves, but there's got to be something more to it. Our identity has got to be in Christ and bearing fruit for Him. Unfortunately, there, there's, there are a lot of us. Oftentimes, we can fall into this, this mindset that, that it's the fruit that makes the tree. right? But it doesn't work that way. It, it, it's the tree that that bears the fruit, and, and the only way it can do that is what takes place down at the root, which is why John says there's an axe laying at the root and God is ready to chop it down if this thing isn't going to produce anything. So often we think that it's, it's by the doing. We, we create fruit that in some way is going to get the applause of, of heaven, that's going to cause something great to happen in our lives. And so we, we try to manufacture fruit when really all we're doing is producing something that's artificial somehow doing things is going to make jesus happy we're going to earn our salvation but it's not it's by the life in the tree that causes fruit to be produced that's that's what's vital that's where jesus is getting to with this because he says in john 15 5 i'm the vine you are the branches if you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you dwell with me, if you walk with me closely, if you let me feed you, if you let me be the life, then you will bear fruit. It's not the other way around. Like If I do enough good things, then Jesus is going to come and go, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to be your Savior. No, it's totally the opposite. The reason that we bear fruit is because He is our Savior. We abide with Him. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and then we just can't hold it back. We just say, God, use me however you want to use me. And, and out of our lives come the things that help to build up the kingdom. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's what He's finding is this community of people that they're trying to do everything apart from Him. And Jesus weeps. He says, this is, this is all for naught. You're fooling yourselves. If the fig tree was associated with prosperity, unproductive trees obviously represent inactivity. If we're fruitless, like a fig tree that can't grow figs, it's not a fig tree anymore. If we're believers in Jesus and we are not producing fruit from Him, then we cannot call ourselves disciples of Him. We cannot call ourselves followers of Him if we're not letting Him work in our lives. So if you don't produce fruit, then don't take the name. 
And I know it's cliche so often for pastors to talk about this, but we need this reminder in our minds. We, we have this belief that in some way the activity, going to a Bible study, uh, going to church, saying a prayer, uh, is in some way fruit. But actually, that's the abiding part. That, that's, the, that's the drawing close to Christ and saying, do something in me. I want to stay close to you. Grow in me. And then out of that, Produces the fruit that Galatians 5 talks about of love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and self-control. It's how, how we pour our lives out onto others. That's fruit. That shows that we're followers of Jesus, that we are abiding with Him. Caring for other people, being for our city, is not what makes us a disciple, but being a disciple causes us to do all of that out of love for Christ and what He's done for us. We do it because we love Him and we're part of the mission. We don't do it because it's in some way, feel like it's, it's a duty that we have to perform. It's a joy. How hungry are you? How hungry are you to produce fruit? Abide in the vine for the glory of God. Well, all of a sudden, it seems like the story changes. So Jesus curses this fig tree. Uh, the leaves all fall off. They watch it wither and the disciples' jaws drop. And it's amazing to me, yet it isn't because we've been studying the disciples and we know it takes a long time for them to get something. But here are some guys that, I mean, they've been with Jesus from the beginning of all this. They were there at that wedding in Cana when, when Jesus turned the, the water into wine. They were the ones that went outside and they got the, the, the big jugs full of water out of the hand-washing basins, and they brought it in, and it turns to wine, and they taste it, and they think it's absolutely amazing. I mean, they were there. They watched that happen. They were on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus came walking out to them in a storm on the water, and Peter got out, and he walked on the water. They were there when Jesus called Lazarus, a dead man, to come out of the grave, and he walks out in his grave clothes. All of these things, one of them would have blown my mind and caused me to run. They're, they get a front row seat to all of this. Jesus just speaks to a tree. The leaves fall off and the thing dies. And they go, how in the world did that happen? Right? Like, seriously. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity. He doesn't, he doesn't scold them. He doesn't try to prove himself to them. He, he sees this as an opportunity. And what we have to understand, uh, Jesus' response, let me just read it to you again. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus is now going to teach them a lesson about faith. And he mentions prayer. This is not necessarily a lesson on prayer, but it all, prayer is necessary for what the disciples were being called to do. You understand that, that Jesus was in his last days of his ministry on earth. If the gospel was going to go out to every Jew and Gentile in the world, it was going to start with this group of men. And they were going to need to believe that they could do what it is that, that Jesus was going to tell them they could do. And so this was a great opportunity for Jesus to, to speak some truth into them. So they want to know, like, how, how did that happen? How did, that, how did the fig tree wither uh, so quickly? And, and Jesus turns it into this message about doing great things through the power of, 
of God. The New Testament alone mentions faith and belief close to 500 times. It's the key, right? It's the key to following Jesus. It starts in faith. I believe in who you are as God himself in the flesh that came. And I believe that, that you desire to see sin eradicated in our lives, that we would repent, that we would be able to have amended relationship with the Father and walk in holiness. It's all about belief. And it's, faith is it's true conviction. There's no doubt. I fully believe in who you are, God. I fully believe in who Christ is. And I believe in the promises that you've given. And I'm going to walk in them. And so it's a, faith is a continuous activity that can never falter and never fail. Even though the enemy wants to pull us away and he wants to cause doubt. But faith doesn't hesitate. It doesn't waver. And so, so Jesus knows that, that he's going to be sending his disciples out into this world. That, that has the picture, the, the, the look of, of faith, but it's really not. As we've talked about, it, there was a lot of just religious activity. And people were lost in that. Because it wasn't like they were faking it. They, that's, they actually believed that they, were, that they were doing the right thing. They'd just gotten lost over the years. And it was going to be a difficult struggle. Jesus knows this. And then we read about it. As we read through the book of Acts... It wasn't going to be easy for the disciples to do what they were called to do, take the gospel to the world. There were going to be mountains in front of them. They were going to need to be moved. There were going to be a lot of obstacles. They were going to need to be moved. And Jesus said, but you're going to move forward in faith. And if you believe in great faith, in the mission and in the power that you have and in me as your Savior, and that God wants this to happen, you can ask him and he will move mountains for you. So that you can go and do what it is that you have been called to do. Trust in God. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This was, this was a, a, a lesson, and, and I believe that it's true. That if we, that God has such a desire to, to reveal himself over and over again to us, that, that he would receive the glory, that we would praise him. He wants to answer our prayers. Now, we, we can never find any other time in Scripture uh, at all where Jesus actually said to a mountain, you know, go into the sea. Or, or, or where the disciples actually had to do something like that. It wasn't about that. We've talked about this before as Jesus taught on prayer in the mustard seed and the mountains. This was about if there is a great obstacle that is in the way from you being able to go out and do what it is that you're called to do. You believe that God wants you to go and do it. So you believe that, that he will, he'll move anything, any obstacle that is in your way to make that happen. Trust in him. Have faith. Prayer is reliance on the certainty of God. That's what it is. We go before God and we are 100% certain that he is the one and only that can answer this prayer that could move these obstacles that are in the way of uh, doing what we're called to do. It's asking God to reveal His power in all of its fullness into our situation. The problem is, as James says, doubting disrupts that. Because doubt says, I don't really believe that you can do this. Or we can, either, we can expand on that. I don't really believe that, that you would want to do this for me. And then that's what really messes with our heads. 
we start to go into our own lives and we start to think, well, maybe he's not doing it because, you know, last week, uh, you know, whatever, got angry with a family member or, you know, and we just think, oh, God, God's never going to do anything with me. That's, that's doubt. Because really what we're doing is, in all of that, is that we're just not fully convinced in the fact that God is reconciled to us through Christ. That's where it begins. Do you truly believe that, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that God does love you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, that all of your sins have been forgiven, that He has placed a call on your life to go and to make disciples, to change the world. Because oftentimes we think, well, that's good for some people, but that's just not, I don't think God's not going to use me. That is doubt. Because it's been given to all of us. His love has been, God so loved the world that he gave his son. He cares about you. He wants to do great things in your life. And he said, and I will move mountains to show you that. You just need to believe that I will. You just need to ask and I'll do it. The disciples would need that. Because you read through Acts and you will find that they came up against things that were just absolutely impossible for them. And through prayer, God did incredible things. We read about them being threatened and, and, and the religious leaders telling him, you share, you share the gospel anymore and we'll kill all of you. That's a pretty big mountain. And so they get together with all the other Christians. They say, we need to pray. Because they said, if we preach the gospel anymore, they're going to kill us. And what do they say? You know what we need to pray for? Boldness. That, that's one of the most amazing, uh, I, I would say, characteristics of the early church. They did not bow. There was a mountain in front of them, and they said, we're just going to pray. They didn't even pray to move the mountain. They said, just give us the courage and the boldness to climb that mountain. And God gave it to them, and, and they just kept going. Are you fully convinced that God is reconciled to you through Christ? That, that God is not too busy to care about you? That, that the life that you're living is not too trivial for God to spend His time on? Do you believe that you are not worthy of God listening to you? If you were not worthy, He would have never sent His Son for you. He cares and He loves. He rescued and is redeemed. And Christ's death on the cross is far too valuable for you to think, for me to think, that, that it means nothing to us. Our faith begins in who God is and that He has fully offered himself to us. And so Ephesians 3.12 says, you can come with boldness and you can come with confidence through faith in him. Be bold. Ask for it. And he'll do great things. How do you gain that confidence? The confidence that, that we gain is by just what we're doing. By reading about how God has worked in the past, his promises and how he fulfilled them. That we continually lean into the truth of God's word to gain that, that confidence in what he does and who he works through. We know, we, we hear often, we hear the voice of the world tell us that, that, that we don't need scripture. We can recollect on moments in the past when it seemed like our prayers went unanswered and we're trying to quantify, trying to figure out why. What's wrong with us? And the smallest bit of doubt begins to seep in, and it's the doubt that destroys our faith. It eats away at our faith. 
which causes us then to stop bearing fruit because we detach from the vine and we just think, God, God doesn't want to use me and so he obviously doesn't care about me. We start to let the enemy tell us some pretty horrific lies. But we gain confidence. John Calvin said, we gain confidence in the truth of God's word and it will begin in faith and truth that God's word is absolutely true. That's where it starts. And the more we, we spend in the Word, and we not just reading it for the sake of just getting through it. Again, that's, that's empty religion, just reading words and walking away from it. But if we actually let it sink deep, and we just say, God, do that in my life. And we see it, and we go, God, we, we see who you are, and we praise you. We give you glory for who you are. And we thank you for your Son and what he's done for me. And I can't believe that you'd want to use me, but I believe that you want to use me and so fill me with whatever it is that you need for me to go and I'm going to trust that you're going to remove any obstacle that's in the way that's going to cause me to, to, to step back and begin to doubt. So I'm going to have faith and I'm going to start moving and I'm going to trust every step of the way that you are doing something great. How hungry, how hungry are you? How hangry are you? Right, that, that it seems as though that the enemy is winning the souls of people on this earth. That he's, that he's causing so many believers to become lukewarm and, and to fall away from, from passionately following Jesus. That, that disciples are not being made like they should be. That we're not reaching the world. It's time for us to get hungry. It starts by getting hungry to bear fruit and a hunger for belief. God, give me the faith that I need so that I can listen to what it is you want me to do and I will run with passion to follow after you. Because I'm tired of living empty religion and I just want to abide in the vine. I want to experience a life of what it's like of the fullness of Christ living in me and through me. I want to see God do great things. He would get the glory, but let him use me. May we abide in His Word more and more each day. May we trust Him more and more. May we chase after Him. May we let Him be the one that really satisfies us. We just need to get hungry for more of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love You. And, and Father, I, I pray that, that for each and every one of us, those are not empty words. We love You. For who You are, the creator of this universe, and in the midst of it, for some reason, you decided to put us on it because you thought that that was the best for the world, that, that we would be here to be used by you to take this incredible message out to the world. But, Father, we know it has to start with us, so help us to believe in what it is that you've done for us in who your Son is for us and for the world. And then, Father, may we just out of that joy, may we, may we be flourishing examples of what it means to be a follower of you. Not for people to look at us and applaud us, but that they would be able to taste that fruit and they would want to know more about this tree, the tree of life, the root, you, Jesus. So use us, God, in a mighty way, however you can, in this day today, in the world that we live in, to make the most of every opportunity to expand the kingdom by going and making disciples. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship.